The dawn of civilization. Primitive. Dangerous. Exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs the most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Oh, you can work on art. come out of his cave. Yeah. You're listening to the Knuckle Drags Extravaganza and Cave Dweller Music. Matt here with you on your Tuesday evening, and we've got Brad, who is a part of Lint, the band, and then went on to becoming the label. First and foremost, how are you? Doing pretty well. Thanks, mate. We'll go back to the very start, and I mentioned there that Lint was the band that you were in from 2009 till about 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. Could you talk me through the the life and times of Lint, as it were. Like, how did you guys start? What was the progression? And how did the uh, the end come about? Mm-hmm. Okay, absolutely. So um, about, oh, this is going almost 20 years ago now, like I was I in, my fir- in my first probably, <laughs> you might uh, We might test the memories here a little bit, but let's, you know, yeah. do the Wayne's World. <laughs> exactly. Um yeah, no Sri Lanka formerly Ceylon or any story like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so I was in just a, a, a regular kind of punk band as you are as a kid, and that ended. And the drummer and the original guitar player from that band, we got together and wanted to make something a bit more, I guess, progressive, but not none of us listened to prog. And and yeah. still throughout the life of the band never really did. It was more just an outlet to go, hey, we love the hard-ons, but we want to make songs that go for three times as long as their songs type thing. So Touching mess- on the hard-ons, yeah. did you listen to that record that they did with Tim Rogers from UMI? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I don't yeah. know what it is or how they did it, but they just perfectly made pop songs. With a oh, little, like just enough of a hard edge tinge for you to be like, yeah, I'm listening to real music, you know? <laughs> I, I embarrassed Ray a little bit when that came out because he works in a record store that's like the block over from where I work. So oh, I go in nice. and, and buy stuff like there on my lunch break and, and like he was working and I'm like, he's just, you know, trying to get through his day-to-day service of whatever I'm buying there. And then I'm like, oh, Ray, like, I've got to tell you, man, like, the new album is really fucking good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just need to tell you that. <laughs> He's like, oh, thanks, man. And then, and then he goes off on his tangents of talking about, um, you know, oh, we we had this riff back in, you know, 30 years ago. We played in Belgium. <laughs> and it's like, okay, just <laughs> tell me. Like, uh, I'll soak it up. <laughs> yeah, tell me all the things that are going on. Um, but, yeah, that was a fantastic record. I listened to that so 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 much um oh and i can't remember the name of the song but there was one song on that album that was like top five songs of the year for me just Mm. how um how well it was put together um but yes continue on with lint and i will try and track down this song in the meantime and then Try not to uh, (laughs) try not to interrupt you on the way through no it's all good so we yeah anyway we started this band and we we couldn't think of a a name so we just thought of a stupid name and it stuck and then we we started to make like a lot of instrumental stuff most of our demos and like our first album were all instrumental and um cj who had switched to bass at that point um started to write lyrics and the songs got even longer 
And we wanted to make, like, while this was happening, I was getting into a lot more experimental music um, because we're making things out of our comfort zone. So I'm just diving down the rabbit hole of finding any sort of weird music I, I could find. I was really obsessed with Phantom Us, the Mike Patton project during Lint. So I wanted to make weird music like that. I feel like um, if you have yeah. weird music, Mike Patton's normally the yeah. guy to, <laughs> the, to go see. That's the I gateway remember, drug. He was in Mr. Bungle, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, 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 Mr. I Bungle. remember listening to, God, I can't remember one of the, was it Girls of Porn or Girls in Porn? And just listening to that. And my mates were obsessed with it, would play it religiously. And I'm going, mm-hmm. what the fuck is this? Like, you can make music like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's what I that's what hit me as well. Is like you can you can do this. Like yeah, it doesn't it doesn't have to have any. It doesn't have to feel good to listen to, and people will still listen <laughs> to it. So, so I was doing like what eventually became Cell Temple. I was doing demos of that during the same time. Um, and so Lynn, Cell Temple's been something that you've had in your back pocket uh, yes. for quite some time. Then yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, didn't really have a name, but it was my, oh, I can make these weird sounds. And I was listening to a lot of drone music as well, like Sun mm. and things that, that I still love now. Um, and so Lynn got, we got signed for a distribution deal in Germany and that was for our existence album. So that, which was, I guess, our first like proper album with vocals and production and, and all this sort of stuff. And I guess the we're all getting a bit burnt out money-wise. Like we just didn't want to commit as much as, uh, finger quotes here, a serious band because we're still having fun. Um, so touring and things like that was really difficult because we couldn't just jump on any bill. Like a lot of bills would be confused where to put us. We played with a lot of punk bands because we liked punk and had that sensibility, but the crowds would get bored because, you know, we're playing like sometimes 10 minute long songs. Um, And then when we jump on a bill with a metal band, they'd be really clean and well rehearsed and stuff. And we were these dirty like flannel wearing kids from Wollongong that just even though we had long heavy riffs we were sloppy playing so we just didn't fit into any bucket and eventually just decided to call it a day really but yeah and there's no the animosity there's no bad blood like we're all we are all still so good friends um but yeah it was just not a bit of a cop out to say but it's not worth our time anymore no, I know what you mean. And you can kind of get to the point where you're putting so much time and effort into it, but it then takes over from it being a fun hobby that mm. you've got some stuff. Like it's, you know, an outlet for you, whereas you get to the point where you're kind of going, okay, the amount of effort that I'm putting into this isn't, might not be, you know, financial uh, rewards that you're getting back, but you're just the enjoyment's gone from how much money, yeah. time, efforts all gone into it yeah that's definitely true and um you know we never did it for any sort of financial gain like it was always just breaking even or being below even um but i i guess when we broke up we were all already in our 30s and it was just like 
I don't know how much of sleeping on like tiled floors with your jacket as a pillow <laughs> can can we really enjoy anymore? <laughs> like, um, yeah. And getting back to something that you said there, which I found pretty interesting, there even though the genres themselves, like punk and metal, have some similarities, I find bands that fit in the Venn diagram aren't really. They it, like, and again, this could be changing. It could be just my perspective. But you mentioned it there. You were too punk for the metal shows, but too metal for the punk shows. Yeah, it's a strange place to be in because even though you're sort of operating in the same circles, you've got similar kinds of music for both styles. It seems like one fan base goes, "Why are these songs over a minute and a half?" And the other band's going why isn't this dude playing fucking pentatonic riffs yeah and why isn't the drummer just basically a metronome yeah there was there was no blast beats and and i i, I wouldn't know my scales other than minor and major from a fucking bar of soap yeah. so it was yeah it, it it was more just um i mean we fit in in wollongong because wollongong yeah. is the home of that sort of thing but you know none of us live there anymore and um, it, it was like our, all our friends that did that were a little bit older and more successful than us, like Tumbleweed and, and, and bands like that. So I think we were just a little bit too late. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's nothing. And you, it seems like you're in a good spot as well with that where you're not bitter or you're not upset by it. You kind of realise there was a time and a place for the music that we played to be entrenched in, you know, mm. our further bands. But yeah, from what you're saying, you kind of realize that, well, we did everything right. We, we, you know, just two, maybe three years too late on it. Yeah. Yeah. And the thinking back now when I thought, when did we do 2013 was the existence album. The one that like we actually started to tour and get, like radio play and stuff from on independent radio stations. Um, band, bands like The Strokes and shit like that was really big at the time. So yeah. no, nobody wanted to listen to a humbuckered guitar. They wanted you know, suede jackets and Telecasters and stuff. So it was just like if they wanted guitar music at all, I should say, like it was um, a big time if you sounded like MGMT. <laughs> But yeah. yeah. And then in the more underground time, and I remember this distinctly because I was uh, like 16, 17 when I noticed that change from like really dirty, heavy, like you said, not particularly clean and polished. But then there mm -hmm. was a bit of a transition where the flannel shirt still stayed, <laughs> but that grunginess and that dirtiness transitioned over to punk. So you had bands like Basement, you had bands like Tidal Fight, even mm -hmm. to some extent Touche Amore, mm. bringing a more grungy sound into punk. So it seems like you were at the tail end of, you know, the, the quote-unquote heavier side of things, but just a little bit of a predecessor to, to bring it into that. I, I, it was a very aesthetic punk scene as well. Yeah. Yeah. I... I've talked about this at length as well in, in other interviews, but I, I didn't and still don't click with that rebirth of, I guess you could call it, of the 90s punk aesthetic, if you want to call it grunge. Like 
bands yeah, that became enormous, like um, even though they're lovely guys, the bands that became enormous, like um, Violent Soho, I, I just mm. didn't, I just didn't get it. I'm just like, hang on, I, I was into Soundgarden and Nirvana and Alice in Chains when they were a thing. Yeah. Like, I, I don't need to listen to this now. <laughs> and it's it's that weird thing where trends go on like twenty years cycles. Twenty and it years all comes back again. Like I, I saw someone I saw someone the other day posting about fucking how new metal is cool again. Like oh, okay. I was in primary school when that shit was popping off, and even then, all my friends were listening to Limp Bizkit, and I'm like. Mm-hmm. Yo, this is fucking trash. Like, my old man's playing Rage Against the Machine and the Ramones, and everyone's like, "Yeah, man, you got to listen to Limp Biscuit." I'm like, "Dude, no! Like, no, I don't want to." No, I I was in high school, and it just um, I mean, I was the right audience for it, like a suburban high school kid. But at the time, I had this major fascination with Australian alternative rock because i had seen um living end and jebediah um no not jebediah Liv- living end and spider bait i saw them oh, play classic and, and, and i was like oh, okay cool like this is my sort of stuff and i was not gonna say am like oblivious to new metal but mm. i didn't notice it was as big as it what it was until i was an adult and then other people were all nostalgic for it and i'm like and oh like- okay i didn't like, I knew yeah. Korn, I knew Corn was a thing, but I didn't yeah. know all these other bands were well. Yeah. So how did um, I know that? I, and this has been something that you've mentioned um, quite a bit, both you know on socials and even a bit in this interview here. But how did Lint the band come to an end, and then how did it become Lint the label? Okay, so when I've mentioned in posts and like in bios and things like that that it was an accidental label it genuinely was so lint had finished and i had a cell temple album not ep i guess you'd call it um ready to go and i didn't know what to do with it i wanted to like link it to our Bandcamp store that was for lint at the time and I also had um, a band called Diploid. They're a black metal band from from Victoria. Yeah, um, Diploid Rule. Oh, a fucking fantastic band and lovely, lovely people. And Reese um, in Diploid had like this weird experimental music that he was making. And I said, "Hey, can I make that into a, a cassette and and sell them?" And he's like, yeah, sure. Like, go ahead. And he goes, I've got a new song here that I don't have anything to do with. You can have it. And at the same time, I had these these Cell Temple tracks of just weird sort of, I was um, on, a, on a bit of a, like a John Carpenter trip, like the, the filmmaker and that nice. sort of, um, you know, his soundtracks for, for his films are fucking fantastic, like The Thing. Um, and I had music that I'd made to try and copy that. And I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. I'll put them together. I'll press the, like, get the cassettes made up, um, make the the covers myself. And then it sort of struck me that, oh, hang on, I've just done what, a, you know, again, air quotes, a label does. Uh, oh, I never thought. Label. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> real. Because I'd always thought as a kid, oh, a label is either, you know, fucking 
Geffen or Capitol Records or some shit that sign bands or they're independent labels um, that that's their day job kind of thing. And I didn't realize that, oh, hang on, like if you just make stuff, you can just call yourself a label. And even though I hate that word still, like that's, that's what I did. I did what an independent label does. They made their own things for somebody else and for themselves and sold them. So I just sort of realized, oh, hang on, like labels, here I, here I am having one and I'm the biggest promoter of labels don't matter. You can just do it yourself. And around this time, I kind of started to get to know and, and like, I guess, worship them a little bit because I fucking love their music. Um, the band Dead. And oh, Dead are great. I, uh, yeah, I had a chat really. to Jem two, maybe three weeks ago. At yeah, this point. I listened to that. And we've done stuff with, well, Cave Dwellers done uh, interviews with them in the past and fantastic band, fantastic people, fantastic yeah. music. And again, like you said, it's one of those things where, and Jem had a similar story. That's what I was going to say right mm. outside the tangent. Jem had a similar thing um, with you, not knowing what the fuck DIY was. Yeah. He just went and did it because he's like, well, how else are people going to hear my music? And then years down the line, everyone's like, oh, that's so DIY. And he goes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Exactly. It was exactly like I, I wanted to make these physical things and I wanted other people to hear Reese's music. So it just, I just did it. And when I realized that Jem had We Empty Rooms, like, which is his label, um, immediately I was in love. I was just, I was just like, okay, first off, that is the best name for a label, We Empty mm. Rooms, because um, I've seen them do it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, I've and heard secondly, stories and oh, it's fantastic. It's, it's so good. And they became like little bit of mentors to me and, um, you know, saying, look, this is how you do things. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. Um, and like if I could do anything uh, like a quarter of what they do, I'm, I feel successful. So they were a huge influence to me to go, okay, I'm just going to nick my old band's name to turn turn this into a label and then I guess do whatever I feel like from there. So then all the releases that have come from different bands after that have just really become natural. Like they haven't, I haven't scouted and I haven't had like people message me and go, you're not the oh, you guy at the bar do- that goes, no. Hey kid, you're going to be big. You no. want to sign in here? Yeah, no way. <laughs> and, and, and even like when bands message me and like, they say, Oh, he's like to listen to this. Like, I'm just like, Oh, that's, that, that's great. Thanks. I'm not like, Oh, you awesome. Or, or I'm not a dick to them and go, yeah, no, we're not in the, not in, in the market for that type thing. Like, Mm. it's just like, hey, if I feel like doing this, I'll do it. If not, like, I'm not, it's not my sole income. So, yeah, I can do it whenever I want. 
So how have you found the relationships, uh, the relationship rather with the guys from Dead? Because like I said, Cave Girl mm. has done a little bit of stuff with them. Um, they are promoting through James's Cave Dweller Productions, which is mm-hmm. the he's going to kill me and probably throw me off the podcast. Um, but it's his PR side of things. Right. How did you find, or how have you found uh, the relationship with those guys in terms of you know both music and doing stuff with the label? So I, when I, I got to know them or know of them while I was, while Lint was still together and I kind of bugged them a bit to put us on shows, which never ended up <laughs> happening um, because I really wanted to play with them, but we had a lot of mutual friends, mutual friends. So once that finished, once like Lint finished and um, the band I was in after that night goat, we did end up playing with dead a few times then, but I'd become friends with them then. So it was more comfortable of going, messaging Jem and saying, hey, I need help with, like, what to do with this release. And, you know, Jem, he he loves to talk about music. He'll talk about music forever. So know, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, he's just like, oh, I can't do this on messaging. Call me. And then, like, and then we'll just be on the phone for hours. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm just writing everything down and, and learning. So, yeah, the it's been invaluable of what I've learned from those guys, not just in terms of doing the music business in, in big letters, um, just to be decent humans. Like they are genuinely lovely people that I've seen handle brutal situations at gigs just with determination and, and class and just genuine sweethearts. So yeah. Here I am just talking up, talking up, Jason, Jim. And honestly, for good cause. And I feel like they also operate in a space that Lint found themselves initially, where they're a little bit too weird for the general metal crowd, but they're also a little bit too heavy for your, like, experimental ambient music crowd. Yeah, yeah. And and they've afforded themselves the luxury now of being able to to switch when they want and they do, and not just to switch to fit in to switch literally when they want like they'll they'll do a whole set of ambient vocalless music where they're not even playing their normal instruments just because they want to do that on a show and now finally people are going to a dead show and accepting whatever dead give them in, as opposed to expecting something from them yeah, and I think that throwing the middle finger up to the general touring cycle is a bit abrasive at first, but once you buy into it, it makes sense. Like they yeah. won't go through, and obviously they'll have release shows, which they did uh, for their recent record, Laughing, The Laughing Shadow, mm-hmm. I think it was called. Um, but then they'll also do stuff where they'll go, yeah, okay, we've done that record. We've played that record. What's next? What are we doing next? Yeah. It's always, they're always thinking a couple of years ahead. So, and this this happens with really really creative bands that have, you know, very prolific output. By the time the public gets around to hearing their latest record, it's it's couple of records behind for the band, and the band are going on the road playing stuff that you're going to hear in a year's time or something. So, it's um it's good to not pander that 
uh, um, that mentality of, hey, we've got to go out and play the hits. But I really, even um, even as, as a kid listening to music, it's always been like, okay, this is done. What's next? Um, another big band, not big band, sorry, um, like label that has influenced how I approach um, digesting, for lack of a better word, music, is a label called Amphetamine Reptile in the States. Um, oh, from, Amphet rule. Yeah, Amphet, absolutely. Tom Hazelmeyer, he's a, he's a bastard, but he's a, he's a fucking creative bastard. And it's about, <laughs> like, his, especially the stuff they do with the Melvins, it's like, here it is, it's out, there's, you know, a thousand of them, they sell out, you're never going to get them again, move on. And it's it's almost like an art statement. Like yeah. here's an here's a an album that you can buy that that you're gonna hear, and then you're never gonna hear it again because we're already four albums ahead planning. So, yeah, I I, I really love that. There's no, I, I I'll like the the heritage thing as much as the next person of, you know, seeing you know Iron Maiden come out and they go, hey, we're only gonna play the Power Slave album. It's like, yeah, fucking sweet. Like, yeah, like I'll, six I'll, sounds good to me. Yeah, I, I'm I'm all for that, but you that needs to just be a little special thing in your your regular churning, your regular creative process. You always got to just be moving on, new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. And speaking, uh, going on the new stuff, when Lint the band um, came to an end, you moved into a couple of different projects, and you mentioned one a bit earlier on, that being Night Goats. Mm-hmm. How did Night Goats come about? And if someone hasn't listened to it as of yet, um, talk us through Night Goats in general. Okay, so Night Goat was um, mainly an excuse to make music with my friend Kat, who's a fantastic singer down in Melbourne. And we wanted to do something that was loud and quiet because I love the the pixies, like that sort of dynamic of he's a loud, loud, quiet, loud, quiet. So we wanted to do something like that that had this heavy feeling that's not metal, like um, Night Goat is not a metal band at all. Um, and re, like use reverb as an instrument. So you would have a, a guitar line that normally would be a couple of chords, but I'm just playing like a single string for the riff and let the echoes of the reverb, for lack of a better word, make the riff um so we also by that point i I semi knew what i'm doing with a label like i've never i still don't know what i'm doing but i'm half there um a little bit more than what you did i know a little yeah exactly and that point i was already learning so it was like okay i know who to contact to get records pressed i know who to contact to buy the sleeves i know how who who can teach me to screen print um, and we arranged that. And with Night Goat, it was all about, okay, we're going to do the am- the amphetamine reptile approach. It's like we've got two. We went into the studio. We ended up coming out with like an album's worth. And we decided, no, we're going to split it and we're going to do two EPs. And both of the EPs are going to be released at the same time. And you can pick which one you want or you can pick both of them. 
And we're not going to tell you the order that you're supposed to listen to. You can just listen to them in your own order. And then we did that for CDs, um, the vinyl. As I said, I learned to screen print. So we screen printed up the covers. That also afforded us the luxury of going, okay, these are expensive. Like we're going to charge you a lot to buy these, but they're unique. Like every single one that we screen printed up had differences in them. The, the music was the same, but the, the covers were different colors, the liner notes. Um, this is a thing that I actually haven't like publicly made out. Like I've mentioned it obviously to friends and stuff like that, but if there's, <laughs> if there's people out there that have the night go double EP vinyls, the 12 inch vinyls, your liner notes are different than every single other ones. They all say Ooh. something different. So That's class people like that are reading them that it might say, I, I don't remember what they all said, but um, yeah, none of them are true because every single one of them is giving you different information. <laughs> um, but that was just like something funny that we thought we'd do. But um, I like that. Yeah. It, it's cat. Cat is an artist, like a visual artist. Mm. Um more than well that you know a singer as well but visual artists came first so a lot of these ideas came from cat and a lot of them worked because of cat's artwork that was and um like sense of shying away from any sort of publicity like cat was never sent a stage when we performed despite being the singer and never did interviews like they were all left to me and is genuinely a shy person when it comes to that. So it was like, okay, let's make all these unique artistic statements. And I was obviously all for it because as I said before, I loved that amphetamine reptile mentality of here's something that you're going to, you know, the music is free. You can find all of the things that I've been a part of for free digitally on, on Bandcamp and it will always be free. But if you want to buy a physical version of anything that I put out, it's going to cost you because we put a lot of stuff into it. Definitely. And although not everything that you guys have put out has been available digitally, we mentioned this mm -hmm. um, and this is something that I've picked up. There was a CD that Dead put out, which is only available in the physical form yes. through you in terms of the CD itself. Uh, and Kyle Schutt, Shutt, how do mm -hmm. we pronounce that? Shutt? Yep, Kyle Shutt. Uh, from The Sword also has a physical only release through lint was that something that you were keen on and always had in the back of your mind to do a physical only release um yes it was but i didn't know i didn't know what i could do in terms of because you got to if you're doing a physical only release in in a digital world now that everyone can get their music on on whatever digital platforms. Bandcamp is obviously my preferred, but um, everyone has their own ways of distributing. If they want to put it on Spotify, they can and, and, and whatnot. So I figured if it's going to be a physical release, the person has to kind of be known. Like I'm not going to put my mate's weird experimental Tibetan throat singing 
like onto a physical set and go, this is the only place you can get it. And because pe- people will just go, we don't, we didn't want it anyway. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. So I, I, <laughs> this is going to sound, and I hate it as well. I joined Twitter um, at the start yeah. of last year. And I was like, you got to oh, do what you got to do. Fucking cesspool. And I, anyway, I joined Twitter and I'm like, cause I wanted to sort of promote like the, the label a little bit and like my um, journalistic stuff because I was doing blog entries and things at the time. And I thought, oh, well, I don't want to follow anyone on here. Like I don't care about these people, these celebrities. So I just sort of hunted down bands and people in bands that I like and followed them. And The Sword, which is the stoner. Um, Great band. Of, yeah, stoner, doom, rock. Um Coincidentally, the day that we're recording this, everyone, they just announced that they're breaking up. Oh um, no! Yep. They just they, they announced it this afternoon that they're breaking up. I'm like, wow, that's okay. I messaged oh, Kyle. Um, I'm like, yeah. Anyway, um, but I, I love the sword, and I'm like, oh, okay, like Kyle's on pretty active on Twitter. He has a podcast called The Highway, which during lockdown I was just binging the Highway podcast. Um, and I'm like, I messaged him just out, not expecting a response. And, and I'm just like, Hey dude, like, you know, I've got this little sort of label thing. Um, I'm feeling like I want to do a cassette, like a, a physical only cassette. Would you want to put your music on it? And, and he was just like straight up for it. He's like, yeah, that's fucking rad. Like he was doing all these eighties covers and he was just putting them online for free. And he go, and we just decided, okay, let's just put them all on a physical cassette and, you know, make it like he got like his art team onto it and things like that. And you know, we made him hot neon pink because it's all eighties covers like this Van Halen and, and like a great cover of electric eye by Judas priest. That's probably my favorite one on there. Um, and the hot pink is a yeah. really eighties yeah, uh, color yeah. scheme too. And, and, and he's right into like Hulk Hogan, so that's why it's Kyle Mania, and it's got like I was the, about to ask Hulk Mania, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, that, that's it, yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And so those ones were the physical only release. Mm-hmm. How did you find the response to that? Because, like you said, if you put out someone who no one knows, the response is going to be like, "Oh yeah, cool, man. We didn't want that anyway." But with Jem and Kyle. From memory, they're both sold out on Bandcamp. Yeah. So with the with Kyle's one, that's definitely the most successful thing that I've done just because he has a name for himself. Um, it it maybe de- deterred a few people because it was cassette. Um, like not every like vinyls are chic. They have been for a long time again now, and everyone's got a record player again. Um, not everyone is back on the cassette bandwagon. Like to go back to what we're talking about, it hasn't come around again. Doesn't come. Which I that find cycle. odd because um, you see a lot more punk bands and a lot more. Yes. Uh, and again, I hate to use this word because both you and Jem were doing it, and then realized it was an actual term. But like DIY bands, it mm-hmm. is so much cheaper, easier, more cost-effective to do a cassette. And the other thing is as well. Cassettes have a very different and very distinct art style you can do with them because yes. they've got a little bit more of a cover. 
Absolutely. I, I, lo- I, I, I love the look of the cassette tape itself. Like, you know, the, the, you can alter it. Now. You can order them now however you want. You can get them with fucking glitter inside them. You can get them with all sorts of stuff. You can change the leader tape color and, and everything. So physically I love it. It's an and 80s collection. I still like vinyl records, but having moved house, quite a bit <laughs> yeah. i would much rather have my entire record collection as a cassette collection yeah because that would make it so much easier and everyone listening to this like you can still the stuff comes digital when you buy physical things from anybody now you yeah, get a download they almost code. always have a download code yeah yeah you can still put it on your phone you can still stream it in your car or whatever you, however other way you listen to it it's just nice to have like a little art piece for lack, for lack of a better term. And when I did that, um, Jem then contacted me because I guess maybe he was like, oh, like that, you know, Brad's on the same sort of wavelength. He then contacted me and goes, all right, we've got this weird experimental song that we're not putting out to anyone other than the Club Dead members, so the people that are members of Dead's fan club that pay subscription they obviously get it um but you can do whatever you want with it but it has to be a physical release and you can't put it on your band camp as a digital and i'm like oh sweet okay i just did a cassette i'm not going to do a cassette again i'm going to do a cd this time um that's literally how it was so i i think that the way forward for anybody that's a bedroom DIY label runner like myself is you, you've got to give both sides of the spectrum. Put your, your digital music online. I like to make it free, but you don't have to make it free. And then you make special physical versions that you can't get anywhere else. So if people want to hear it, that's how they buy it. It does separate the wheat from the chaff, though. If you've got someone who's a pretty casual fan, sees a physical-only release, and then goes, ah, oh, I like them, but not that much, yeah. then they're obviously not going to buy it. They're not going to get into it. But like you said, someone who's really keen on the band, someone like you, know, like, you like myself, like everyone in the, dead, the club dead, mm-hmm. it's something almost tailored to them though like it's not like you're pandering but it's got that same level of we know people who are committed to this are going to remain committed to this this is for them yes exactly and and dead dead's fans there's fans of dead that i can think of that will buy anything that they have just for their collection like they, they, they'll buy, even though they've got it on vinyl, if Dead put the same music on a different physical medium, they'll still buy that as well just to complete their collection. So <laughs> that's it, when you yeah. know that you're, uh, you're too deep in the source. <laughs> yeah. And um, what, what surprised me though with the Kyle Schott, um cassettes is that the cassette collectors the people that are in like the cassette hoarders facebook groups and things like that um they didn't really care so it was the the people that were buying it 
were sword fans. Um, not cassette fans. Not cassette fans. So obviously they would have sold a hell of a lot better if I either put more money into it and made vinyls or put less money into it and made CDs, but I wanted to go down the middle and make something unique with with the tapes. And my first thought was let's get these cassette hoarders in on it. But, yeah, they didn't really care because they seemed to just collect existing cassettes. Um, And then a lot of the real hardcore sort of modern cassette collectors, they weren't into the music. Um, There was like this um this distribution in indonesia i think they were that i i contacted briefly around the time and they made all these really great neon cassettes and all these fantastic uh colors and and styles of them and they're like yeah they look cool but like we only sell electronic music so oh okay and apparently that was like a thing like there was edm lovers were just yumming up all these colorful cassettes i'm like all right that's a whole subculture i didn't know existed but yeah that's that's news to me Um, (laughs) i always thought cassettes were punk bands and black metal bands and it turns out like there's pockets (laughs) that have their cassettes and you can't even think of it that's the uh the classic meme and it's something that um james and i often talk about is the amount of you know unreleased super rare black metal cassettes that are like five six thousand dollars a piece and you go that'd be sick to own it but you know that's what four maybe five months worth of rent how much money like you're gonna drop that on on a cassette (laughs) i've always had this like crazy thought of um you know those pigs that you train to hunt for truffles (laughs) <laughs> like, like you, you get you get one that hunts for tapes and just take it into a forest in Norway and see like whatever demo <laughs> tapes this thing will dig up, and it'll dig dig up like you know anal blasters demo record or some shit like that. And uh, it, it, this the black metal thing. I'm on a bit of a like we we're talking off mic before about like I was listening to this Polish black metal band and. I love the whole aesthetic and the idea of it, but very few bands will get through to me in terms of what I'll listen to. Like I'll listen to Mayhem, but like I won't probably go any further than that. But the whole subculture of, all right, we're going to make music that purposely sounds like dog shit. If you like it, then you're our person. If you don't, we're not even going to try and advertise it to you. (laughs) It's like daring the audience to to like it like yeah, we hope you don't we hope you don't like it but secretly we do want you to like it <laughs> that was yeah that was the thing that got me into it um as well when i first started or oh, i want to say 2012 maybe 2013 when i first started listening to it mm-hmm. and like i said when and i alluded to this earlier when we were talking about that 90s revival i was very much into uh, title fight at the time and that was yep. you know very melodic re rehashing of that 90s sound and then i think it was james who's like the head of cave dweller he goes you should listen to this i can't remember whether it was mayhem or dark throne mm-hmm. and like we said with mr bungle you sit there and listening going you're allowed to make this yeah. music. like you can make something <laughs> that sounds like absolute shit and i don't know whether it's the 
because there's only two reactions you can have to that kind of music, right? You mm. can have the reaction where you're like, well, this fucking sucks. What kind of idiot listens to this? <laughs> or you can have the other reaction of, holy shit, this is awful. Why would someone make this? I want to find out more about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's more that I think about it, the more it's the same reaction. It's just, do you have the curiosity to, to continue on and find out more? That that's it. The curiosity grabbed me with black metal, um, mainly because like mayhem, for for lack of a better word, like the mayhem and and Burzum, like they they're awful. They're awful people. They're, um, racists. Like they murdered each other. Like the the Burzum guy Varg, he killed the singer of mayhem. Like stabbed him to death. And I, I'm just like fascinated by the mythology of it. And I then think that was when the I, thing that drew me in as well. Yeah. Because like, you listen, you know, you, you're checking out other bands when you're around that age, when you're really susceptible to stuff and nothing had the law or nothing had sort mm. of that, this is dangerous, you should not be listening to it, allure. Of That's it, yeah. What black metal did. I, I thought the music, music would be a lot scarier than it is. Yeah, um, and that was, the, yeah. and then when you compare the two, you kind of go, Okay, so these are really horrifying and, you know, very raw stories and mythology. And then you listen to the music. And I don't know whether you built it up too much in your head like I did, (laughs) but when you listen to the music, you're kind of like, ah, you know, like it's. There were were kids in a bedroom making, making what they wanted to hear. So it was something extremely innocent like that made by people that were the furthest from innocent. And yeah. again, it's just fascinating. Like he, apparently Burzum's first album was recorded with one microphone in the middle of the room. Like that was it. And so when, good. It, well, when I was like you know, first starting into make music and listening to bands, I'm like, oh, I'll try and do that and put like a, a microphone in a room to make a demo. And it sounds like fucking dog shit. And I, I was trying to make my music sound as good as the one, like the bands that I was listening to, but I thought that's what you had to do. Like if you made, uh, if you recorded a bunch of songs with one microphone sitting in the room and you recorded it onto like a mixer and it sounded bad, then that's a demo. That's not a, a record and then i realized that there's entire underground subcultures of genres like crust punk and and grindcore and things like that 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 is the record that's how they. that's the whole record and i'm like oh okay that's cool you can do that (laughs) didn't know you were allowed to do that um there was this is also getting a bit off tangent there's a band from victoria called the cosmic psychos legendary love the cosmic psychos love love yeah legendary australian punk band their first album, um, when it was sent up to a label in Sydney, I'm, I don't remember which one. I'm going to say Waterfront, but I'm sure that's wrong. It was one of those labels in the 80s in Sydney. The label got it and we're just like, oh, we think the test pressing that you sent us or, or like the, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it sound, is, is, is messed up. Like it sounds wrong. Like can you, you know, when are we getting the final copy? And they're like, no, 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 that's the record. That is the record. Yeah, th- th- that's what independent records sound like. Like we recorded it 
ourselves. <laughs> so, oh, okay. I was like on the Cosmic Psychos. I think I could, like I got tickets to good things just because I really fucking want to see Tism. And yeah. again, <laughs> it goes back to the thing that you and I have been referencing all throughout this conversation is it's weird and intentionally so. And if you're along for the ride, mad, you're one yes. of our people. But then I was also looking at the lineup and I got so blinded. I had like the Tism blinders on and all I think was, oh shit. Yeah. Cosmic Psychos are on that lineup. I see. I didn't even notice that. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not a festival person. <laughs> you went through the same yeah. thing I did. Yeah. I'm not a festival person, so I don't really go to them, but I obviously like immediately noticed that Tism were doing shows because the, they were huge influence on me back in that time that I mentioned where everyone was listening to new metal in high school and I had found. You're sitting there you know, singing mm-hmm. Greg the stop sign. I absolutely was. And what, <laughs> are, what are you? And Thunderbirds are coming out and stuff. And it's because I saw the living end and spider bait play. And I'm like, cool. These are Australian bands. And I like their music. Then someone, I don't know if someone gave it to me or it was like, and anyway, somehow I got a hold of a regurgitator CD and wow. I loved regurgitator at the time and regurgitator were doing shows with tism and i'm like who the fuck is tism and you know i saw them on that uh, on the show recovery on the oh, abc that, and they're wearing balaclavas and they're setting up a the, fucking uh, jumping that, castle is that the pilates one and they're doing pilates yeah yeah, yeah they're doing like an aerobics so routine well done. and stuff and nobody in my and i mean nobody in my high school whatsoever got it they're like are they an aerobics band i'm like no yeah. no it's like <laughs> and it's like hang on why don't why don't like they wear why don't you see their faces why can't like, you see how, their faces yeah how do you how do you know who they are and i'm like you don't that's that's what's cool you don't that's know who the they whole are. point yeah and, and that now that i'm thinking about it that must have set like that must have sown seeds for me wanting to make and like ingest as much experimental music as possible i thought my experimental phase came when i started to get into mike Patton and mr bungle and phantomus in my late 20s but looking back of it right then and there in high school when i heard tism was like cool this is the opposite of bon jovi yeah fuck all that music (laughs) like (laughs) I had a similar thing. I the first CD I ever bought was uh, "Demon Days" by Gorillaz. That's a good place to start. And yep. I thought it was really cool. I was like, I didn't know that they were like the cartoon band was a gimmick or anything. I just heard like "Dirty Harry" and mm-hmm. even going back to the record that they put out before that, which I can't remember the name of. I think it was um, just a self-titled album. Yeah, and I was like, this is really cool. And then it wasn't until I know three, four years later that someone's like, oh, you know, the, the gorillas are playing. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know what, what, uh, like, what's the band like? And then I saw a video of them as cartoon projected, like characters playing yeah. this music. And it's again, and it, like I said, it's going to be, I think it's going to be the theme of this episode, but it is, it's odd. It is slightly accessible, but if you're, in then you're in yes yeah you you have to it's not it's not like yoko ono it's not like 
arty. It's not mm. like extreme art. It's more, okay, we're going to do something unique and if you're along for the ride, you're going to get more enjoyment out of it, but you don't have to be. Like it's not shoved in your face. The people, uh, I've never heard anybody involved making gorillas like go, oh, if you don't like cartoon bands, you shouldn't listen to us or anything like that. Like I'm sure they're just, this is normal to us type thing. Um, it's not like they're purposely making noise to turn people off. It's we're doing something that we enjoy that we think is unique and hopefully you can enjoy it too. Something that we mentioned very early on um, in the interview was Cell Temple. And much like Ray from the Hard-Ons had these riffs that he'd been playing in Belgium way back in the day, <laughs> Cell Temple was something that you had sort of assembled bits and pieces of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, once Lint the band came to its point, you had Night Goat as well, which is a different beast altogether. What is Cell Temple? How do you approach that one in comparison to the other stuff? I think from memory, it's more of the droney ambient kind of music. Yeah, it, it was originally, and I guess kind of still is. Um, I did do a drone set a little while ago as Cell Temple, um, which I don't play live at all, pretty much with Cell. Um, but it was an outlet for me to do experimental music that didn't fit in any of the normal bands that I was in. Um, but it got to the point where I realized, hang on, I can make music rudimentarily, like with my, you know, my laptop and my guitar and, and whatever, um, effects pedals and stuff like that. And then with the power of the internet, I can just send it to whoever I want and they can collaborate. So we're up to, I'm up to the seventh EP, which is the most recent one that came out this year. Um, mm-hmm. That one, I'll get, to, I'll get to that one in a second, but the, the EP five and six were completely collaborative. So EP five, I originally approached it during COVID lockdown as a way to just make my normal experimental stuff and then i thought it needs something else it really really needs something else so i contacted a friend of mine named dan bennett he's in a fantastic blues guitarist absolutely phenomenal slide guitar player um and is also a didgeridoo player and he approaches the didge in the complete opposite way of his blues playing so his blues playing is is raw and southern sounding, but his didgeridoo playing, he loops effects pedals with it, and I've never heard anybody on the All planet right. play. Okay. That's an interesting take. I like. Never it. ever heard someone do this, um, and he'll like play play the didge into a microphone, which then loops through all these pedals, and he'll create all these soundscapes. And he, I just like hit him up and, and said, let's make a, an EP together. And immediately he sent me all this amazing stuff. So that became the fifth EP. And then the, I wanted to use the collaborative 
side of things for the next one, for the sixth EP, but do a completely different genre, like as furthest possible from it. Um, and so keeping it in the family, I, I contacted my brother. Um, my brother Lachlan is in a, a metalcore band called Alienist. Um, and they're doing really well at the moment. They're, um, they're touring, they're getting triple J airplay. Um, it's not my sort of music, but they're fantastic, hardworking band. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about metalcore, but I do like that sludgy sort of riff, metal riffs, um, bands like Nails and things like that. God, um, Nails is sick. So, so good. And I'm like, I can't dexterily play three minutes of, of metal like Slayer or something like that, <laughs> but Nails is short. I can make music like that. So, I'm, so I, 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 I like the approach. You're either like, man, I don't have the fucking finger yeah. speed to do that. I'm either going to play one chord for two and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to jam it all in a minute and a half. Like, no, we'll, we'll go the opposite end of the spectrum. That, that that's that's exactly my guitar playing. Like, uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll play I'll play you just some drone chords for ages, um, but. If I wanted to, yeah, do something fast and heavy, the, sh- the songs are going to come out as a minute and a half. And that's what they did. And so I contacted Lachlan. I'm like, here's the songs. He put vocals over them. And that became the six EP. And from that realization, I just went, oh, hang on. Like, Cell Temple was always about doing whatever I felt like and recording it. But the first four, EPs of fairly indistinguishable from each other because they're all just ambient soundscapes. And I'm like, even though I was doing what I wanted at the time, there wasn't enough variety. And so now when I get around to making an EP, I try and do maybe two a year. Um, I'm going to, to just do stuff that's, that's different. That's outside of my comfort zone. Um, a friend of mine down in Melbourne um, named Warren, he he was up earlier this year and maybe maybe a bit drunk at at the brewery, at Young Henry's Brewery and he was pushing me a little bit to like, dude, I want more music, I want more music. Like, you know, you've got to do some more stuff. And and I was just not having a bar of it. Like, I was like. <laughs> I don't want to make music at the moment. Like I, I just, I, I want to be, just leave me, leave yeah, just leave me alone. Yeah. I want to be an old, yeah, exactly. I was like, I want to be an old person. I want to play with my cat and, you know, spend time with my partner and, and all this sort of stuff. And, and like, he was pushing me a bit and he's like, yeah, you know, you can make anything. You can like, it can be the most unlistenable shit. And like, there'll be people like me that'll buy it. So <laughs> I went home and not immediately, but I thought about it and I'm just like, all right. For the next EP, I'm going to make the most unlistenable shit. <laughs> and so the latest one, which you can get from my Bandcamp, um, which is Lint Music, just on, on Bandcamp, um, Cell Temple 7 EP, is harsh grind songs with really, really creepy um, evangelical Christian people screaming about the end of the world over the top of the songs. Um, and I have not yet 
gotten any polite feedback about it. Not not to say I've got any bad <laughs> feedback. People haven't said they hate it, but anytime someone has downloaded it and told me that they're downloading it, and I'll go, cool. And then they'll never tell me what they think of it afterwards. So either people haven't liked it at all um, or they haven't gotten through it. And I have a feeling it's the second one. So or they just don't yeah. know what to say. It, it's free people. Like, like all of them, it's free. Just it's, all it's costing you is some bandwidth, download it. And I've even put the liner notes there. Like I, I won't spoil it, but if you, if you go to Lint Music Bandcamp and see Cell Temple 7, the song names issue you a challenge um, if you read them all together. And I want people to do that challenge. <laughs> all right, hold on. What is this? Uh... Oh, I remember the the Hard On song, by the way. It's Hold Tight. That oh yeah, yeah, yeah. On that, that is fantastic. That was the single. Yeah, yeah. That was that was the the one the first one I heard from that album too. Um. All right. What's what's this? What's the challenge? Lawn mole lobotomy top uh, no next EP. That's next the, that's EP. number six. We want number it seven. Is. All right. Where are we? Let's see it's it the Roman numerals what threw me off, yeah. I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is this challenge? If you can get through this, I congratulate you. Yeah. All right, I like it. So try and listen to all of them. <laughs> I, uh, I shall do that. I think the most punishing listen that I ever put myself through, have you ever heard of uh, an ambient artist called The Caretaker? No, but that sounds good. So um, just a, a, a heads up, it is a six-hour-long record, um, <laughs> which, yeah, the... The size of it alone is terrifying. He does have other <laughs> records. Insane. I know it's ridiculous. That's like what? Four dope smokers. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Anytime I see a, a anything that goes over an hour now, I'm going to measure it in dope smokers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's a fantastic record. But I would only recommend doing it. Once, maybe twice, if you're feeling a bit uh, that way inclined. What it is, is the auditory experience of dementia. So I'm writing. I'm writing this down. Yeah, it is. I'll I'll shoot you a link once yeah, we're done. Please. Just so I really like when as soon as I found out about the caretaker again, it was one of those ones we just go through, listen to everything that they have. But the the opus, sort of this like peak that I knew I had to eventually climb was this record everywhere at the end of time. I'm going to double check that because mm-hmm. I think everywhere at the end of time is the one that I'm a big fan of. Um, but it is, yeah, everywhere at the end of time is the record. It's six hours long. It's split up into like six or seven different parts and it is it starts off with this beautiful like grand big band ballroom just this nostalgic sounds more or less and then as the record goes the sound deteriorates and deteriorates 
and deteriorates. And it's one of the only records that I've listened to where I'm questioning my sanity as I go through. And again, like I said, theme of this episode, it's something that'll put a lot of people off, but for the people that it, you know, gets the interest going, I've, I know myself and one other person have listened to it and we say it is the, it is probably the most challenging, but it's also the most rewarding listen simply for the fact that you're committing yourself to six hours worth of music, but also the, to understand through the, like through the medium of audio, what it's like to experience dementia. And like there's points in the record where they'll just replay the same song 45 minutes to an hour later without anything changed on it. And you're sort of sitting there double guessing yourself being like, I know I've heard this before and every other sound around this has started to break down. Yeah, you've got that amnesiac like memory coming back again, and yeah, oh, that, I'll, um, it sounds absolutely fantastic. I yeah, cannot recommend that record enough. But like you said, it's one of those things where someone is either going to really, really like it, or look at you like you're a weirdo for yeah. recommending <laughs> a six-hour-long record. You know? Yeah. Uh. Yeah, no, definitely hook me up with that. So that we've uh, gone through everything we have here. Lint the band, Lint the label, Night Goat, which was the other question that I was going to um, ask you that I've just reminded myself about. How have you, has it just been the lockdowns that have caused Night Goat not to play a show in like 19 months or something ridiculous? Yes. Yeah. For like short answer to that, yes. Um, our last show we played was March 2020 and not only was that like you know ground zero for oh this COVID thing is not going to disappear anytime soon like it's an actual serious thing Mm. and it was also the month that Kat moved to Melbourne and got immediately locked down yeah in that time um and I moved to Sydney and David the drummer is still down in Wollongong um so we just don't see each other and that that that's basically it. Like, um, there was no, but we we had an EP ready to go, which came out a month later after that show, and none of us lived in the same city. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's uh, and it, like it's just a timing thing. Like, no one knew that was going on. Yeah. You all would have all moved for various reasons, and it's kind of like, oh, we did this really cool thing, and now we can't do anything. With yeah. It. Exactly. We're playing the, we're obviously playing all of the songs from that EP live, but um, it was just a timing thing of, um, oh, I'm not going to say that was our COVID record because every band seemed to have a COVID record, but oh, like, dude. the themes of that record were um, oh. like, there's, there's a, there's a song on, on that EP. Um, the EP is called uh, burning bridges to light the way. There's a, there's a, a song on the EP called The Last Human Sound, which is basically about the world shutting down mm-hmm. and, and like the end of the world and stuff like that. But we wrote these songs almost a year before COVID was even a thing. It was just yeah. like, 
and, and we were sitting in the studio recording these songs when like news feed was coming up of going, oh, this person in China died of a weird, really weird disease. Like, <laughs> so by and the yeah. time, by the time it came out, it was like, oh, that's a, that's a COVID record. It's like, no, 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 no. We wrote these songs yeah. long before this thing even existed. It was just and bad I, timing. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I know you do a little, um, you do some journal, uh, journalistic mm-hmm. stuff and I write reviews for four triple Z here in Brisbane for the new releases show. And if I had to hear the fucking words COVID record, <laughs> I know I would have just blown my brains out because look, I can understand that as an artist, that's where you're coming from. That's what you're experiencing at the time. And obviously art imitates life. Yeah. However, 10, 15 years down the line, maybe even 2025, let's push it out that far. How many people are going to like vividly remember what COVID is? And it could be me just having an insane mental twist on this, but calling it a COVID record kind of dates it, you know, you kind of, you're pigeonholing it into a time and a place. Like I really fucking love anti-flag like one of mm-hmm. the first genuine you know anti-government punk bands that i listen to and listen to religiously but i can't really go back and listen to those records you know because it's very much like of a time and place yeah yeah um i think that that's a. Uh, I mean if, if bands want to do this they obviously can do this but letting the world around you influence the record that you're making at the time too much just dates it. And it I mean, there's countless things I, I could, how, how many punk bands did Bush like George Bush records and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, in 10 years time, like kids getting into no effects or something, they're going, who the fuck's George Bush? Like, so yeah let it influence you but when when it does too much it dates the record and then you end up with sane anger (laughs) so yeah i don't know yeah and that's sort of the way that i was looking at it as well like it makes sense the world around you will influence what you write but it also does date it and it would be hard for people to relate um to what the record's about more or less mm. you know yeah um but that's pretty much everything that i had lined up to ask you before we finish up one question what is the rest of the what is the plan rather for the rest of 2022 we've almost come to a close um, what's happening in terms of Cell Temple stuff and any new releases coming from Lint that you've got lined up on the way? Um, so there, I'm sure there'll be another Cell Temple release. Um, I don't have any plans on what it will be, but I do want to make it with someone else. Um, I am trying to get music out of um, a, a uh, an artist down in in Melbourne that makes acoustic music. I haven't released anything acoustically. Trying to get music out of them, but like they're taking their their time, which is perfectly fair. Um, and then I, I I guess in terms of anything that I want to do, 
I, I just want to collaborate now that it's a lot easier to do again, like lockdown kind of stop things like that. I don't really want to jump straight into, you know, join, join an established band type thing, but yeah, it'd just be nice to sort of start collaborating and Cell Temple obviously affords me the, the luxury of doing that. I can just make music and then give it to someone and go, Hey, do you want to put your thing on this? And if they don't, then I'll finish it myself. So yeah, there's no, no solid things on the horizon, but there's always something coming out. So I, I dare say, well, I can almost guarantee there's nothing for the rest of 2022, but 2023, there'll be more Cell Temple for sure. I think what you just said perfectly encapsulates how Limp came about. There's nothing <laughs> set in stone, but I'm sure something will be yeah. around. <laughs> yeah, I'm never going never gonna to stop doing this. Um, but I'm on my own schedule now, so that's that's what I want at this at this old age I'm getting. 